verse number 14. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11 says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord, and in his own house he prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. And then here's verse 14, a very familiar verse. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage of scripture. And Lord, it's an appropriate passage for us to consider today in light of what's been going on in our country this week. And Lord, I pray that, uh, again, you would open our hearts. Help us, Lord, to not just look outside of this room for what's wrong with our country. Help us, Lord, to look in the mirror, the mirror of your word. And help us, Lord, to realize that perhaps there's things in our own lives that needs to be changed. And God, help us to have the humility to realize that and the willingness to make the necessary changes. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I have been heartbroken this week, as I'm sure you have, as we have seen our country divided, literally, as we have mourned the tragic death of George Floyd last Monday in Minnesota. Since then, emotions have raged and people have taken to rioting and looting all in the name of seeking justice. And seeking social change. Well, it's been grievous, to say the least, to watch our nation really lose our identity in a matter of a few days as major cities, including our very own Oklahoma City last night, have seen vandalism, burning of cars and of buildings and destruction of businesses. Again, all in the name of seeking justice and seeking social change. There is no question in my mind tonight, and I hope that you are in the same boat here, that our country needs a revival. It's very obvious and very evident. Uh, This week has really only been a symptom of a deeper problem. Uh, This is not the problem. This is just a symptom of something far deeper, and that is called sin. We stand in this hour not needing more protests. We stand in this hour needing God to heal our land. That's what we need. Verse number 13, uh, here God says to the nation of Israel and to Solomon, He says, look, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, He said, if I allow some of this to happen, then I'm going to give you a a call to revival. And uh, while uh, there's been no lack of rain, evidently, and uh, you follow, there's been plenty of rain. (laughs) 
there's no lack of rain in our day. There's no locusts, although uh, this time of year brings out the frogs in our neighborhood. Does anybody else experience frogs during this time? Yes, there are frogs everywhere here and more. Um, that's not the big problem, though. Pestilence among my people, uh, certainly this uh, uh, disease that we've been dealing with for the last couple months has been a, a challenge, to say the least. But definitely what we've seen in the last uh, seven days or six days has been, uh, again, a symptom of a far greater problem. And uh, if those things happen, then verse 14 God gives us a, a plan, a, a, a path forward. What is that path forward? Well, verse 14, he says, Look, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And of course, healing our land is what we want at this point. So this morning I thought it would be good, and this is not the message I had planned to bring this morning. It was at uh, about 3.30 this morning I decided to change course and to uh, do something different in light of what's been going on. And so this morning I thought we would be good if we took a service and dissected verse number 14 and looked at the call for revival. And so... With that in mind, let's go ahead and dive into verse number 14 here and look first of all this morning at the people of revival. Who are the people that needs to be revived? Oh, I know, all those protesters who are looting and destroying businesses, those are the people who need revival. No, that's not what God says. He says, if my people, these are God's people who need to be revived. And so I know that uh, we all want to talk to the protesters and say, what you're doing isn't making any sense. Uh, what you're, uh, the, the way you're acting is, is completely opposite of, of your cause. But, but that's not what God says here. He says, look, if my people... So, so you and I are the people of God, and you and I are the ones who need revival. God's people are the ones who are in need of revival. These are the people that belong to God. And look at folks. I'm so grateful for the fact that Jesus belongs to me, but, but not only does Jesus belong to me, I belong to him. And uh, that's a great thing, but, but right here, if I belong to God, then, then I'm the one that needs revival. I'm the one that needs to get right with him. I'm the one that needs to change. Yes, we want everybody outside these walls to change and say, stop doing that. But God says, if my people. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 17, Peter discussed this very thought. And he said, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the White House. No, that's not what he said. It must begin at, with the police force. No. It must, it must start at uh, all these protests. No, that's not what he said. Time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. That's here. That's with us. 
The people of revival are God's people. But by, by the way, instead of just saying, well, yeah, everybody else in this room needs to get right with God. No, we need to take it all personally, don't we? That means Eric Johnson needs revival. And look, if, if I'm willing to say that, I hope that you'd be willing to say that too. I hope that you'll look in your own mirror. Because this includes me, evangelist Gypsy Smith was asked what the secret of revival is. And here's what he said. He said, go home and take a piece of chalk and draw a circle around yourself. And then pray, oh Lord, revive everything inside this circle. Too often we're like, hey brother and sister, you need to get right with God. We get the elbow syndrome during uh, during church where we're elbowing one another and saying, hey, I hope you're listening. Allow the Lord to elbow you this morning. Because all of us stand in need of revival. All of us are the ones who need to be changed. So, uh, Lord, revive everything inside this circle. And the people of revival are you and I. Now, number two, we see here, not only the people revival, we see the plan for revival. If my people, which are called by my name, and boy, what a, what a privilege it is to be called by his name, to bear his name. Wow. Here's the plan. Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Let me go through these one by one. Very briefly this morning, humble themselves. And notice it doesn't say shall be humble. It means uh, they humble themselves. Now, humble can be an adjective, but here God's using it as a verb. To humble ourselves. This is something that we need to do. This is an action item. This is a verb. This is something we need to make sure that's on our list to humble ourselves. First Peter Again, Peter, uh, Peter knew a little bit about humility, and he learned it the hard way, didn't he? Um, he? It's been said, you either humble yourself or God has a way of humbling you. And, and, and in Peter's life, God had, had, had to humble him. He said, look, I'm not going to deny you, Lord. I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm ready to die for you. Well, it wasn't just... A few verses later that we find him warming himself by the fire and denying the one who he claimed that he would be willing to die for. Not once, not twice, three different times. Well, Peter later wrote the, the epistles, 1st and 2nd Peter. And in 1st Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, he said this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You see, Peter decided that he understood at this point, look, humility is a necessary thing, and you better humble yourselves or God's going to humble you, uh, like he did to him. Humble yourself. Isaiah 57, verse number 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one, this was a memory verse a few months ago here at Cornerstone. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. 
God is looking to bring revival, but it's only going to come to those who are willing to humble themselves. You've heard the story, perhaps, the captain of a ship who looked into the dark night and saw a light in the distance. Immediately he told his signalmen to send, a, to, to send a message. Hey, I want you to alter your course 10 degrees south. Well, then he promptly received a reply. Alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, the furious captain sent another message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. Soon another reply was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman class, third class Jones. Well, the captain sent a final message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. The reply was, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. Uh, you better move. And you know, when it comes to the Lord, he's not going to move. He is the Lord and he changes not. We're the ones that need to change. We're the ones that need to alter our course. But too often we're telling God what to do and how to change his word or change his ways. He doesn't change. He's the same. But it takes humility to understand that he is the one in charge. So if we're going to have revival in our lives and in our church and in our community and in our nation and in our world, it's going to require humility from God's people. How humble are you? Maybe you've heard about the guy who said, I'm very humble and I wrote the book about it. And well, that see, the thing is, once you think you're humble, you're not. <laughs> Uh, you've kind of lost humility when you think you've arrived at being humble. But listen, humility is understanding who we are in God's eyes. Humility is understanding that we desperately need Him and that He's the one on the throne, not we ourselves. So when it comes to the plan for revival, uh, we need to understand the first part of the plan is humility. Without that, we can't move on to the next one. And we won't come to the next one because the next one is prayer. It says, shall humble themselves and pray. Uh, prayer requires humility to where you're, you, you know you need God. Pride keeps us from prayer. So prayer. It's a it's like the Christian, Christian word for the word the. It's, it's like a filler word in Christianese, isn't it? Prayer. It's so trite. We know prayer. We hear prayer. We talk about prayer. But the question is, for those of us who are His people, are we actually praying? Are we praying? Prayer is one of the most valuable resources we have as believers, and yet for the most part, it's the less or the least utilized. How sad. Jesus died on the cross, tore that, uh, that, that, that veil in two from top to bottom, allowing us then access to the holiest of holies, uh, allowing us access then to uh, come to God anytime, anywhere, for any reason, for as long as we want. And yet, it vastly goes unused, that access. 
because we're too busy with our lives. I was talking to um, Brother Blake and Brother Jacob uh, on Friday, and I mentioned to them that I read a convicting quote regarding prayer. And I wanted to go ahead and read that this morning because it struck me and it convicted me. And I hope that maybe it convicts you as well. It was a quote by Lawrence Huffhand. And he said this, With churches that are so anemic and lacking in power that they couldn't blow the fuzz off of a peach, is it any wonder that it appears that God has washed his hands of us? When we have to go back a hundred years or more to come up with a great prayer warrior, it's obvious that we are the least praying people of all time. Ouch. How sad is it that we have to quote these prayer warriors and giants of a hundred years ago? Where are the prayer warriors of today? God, would you please raise us up in your church to be Prayer warriors today, are we praying? Oh, we know about prayer. Uh, Maybe we've learned a lot about it. Maybe we could preach about it and teach others about the importance of prayer. But are we actually praying? It requires some humility to uh, go to your knees in prayer and to take that time and to understand your need for prayer. So prayer is the second part of the plan. Then thirdly, we see seek God's face. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Hopefully this strikes, uh, it it brings into your mind the memory verse uh, for the month of May here at Cornerstone. Psalm 105 and verse 4. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Many times we seek God's hand, but we don't seek God's face. Now, God's hand, uh, the idea there is when we're seeking God's hand, we're we're seeking his blessing, we're seeking his help, we're seeking his intervention. And certainly in in this situation that we find ourselves in in our country today, uh, we do need God's hand of blessing and help. And there's nothing wrong with seeking God's hand, but, but here we're told to seek God's face. Psalm 27 and verse number 8, the psalmist said, When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. I remember when my wife and I were dating, and we would go out on dates, and we would go to a restaurant and, and sit across the table from each other, and then the, the conversation would kind of come to a conclusion to like a pause and I would just stare in her face and it would make her extremely uncomfortable. Am I right? And I would just give her like these googly eyes and then the googly eyes would eventually, after time, come back towards me. It took a little longer for her to do the googly eyes towards me, but we would just look at each other. We would study each other's faces. We weren't asking anything from one another. We were just enjoying each other's presence. Now, it was probably awkward for everybody around us watching it like, oh, this is making me nauseous. (laughs) Oh, gag. 
But you know, it was very special for us, and we enjoyed that time to just be in each other's presence and to enjoy each other's faces. Do you take time to enjoy God's presence and to seek his face? Or are you just, is your relationship with God like you're going to your genie every day? Lord, please give me this. Please grant this wish. Or are you saying, Lord, I want to enjoy you for who you are. I want to know you and I want to enjoy your presence. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Seek God's face. This is a necessary part of the plan for revival. None of these things can be omitted. All of these things are necessary. So we see we are to humble ourselves. We're to pray. We're to seek God's face. And then fourthly here, we're to turn from our wicked ways. This is one that everybody kind of wishes wasn't in the plan. Because I kind of like my life the way it is. Please don't disrupt the way I'm living. I like my life. Turn from their wicked ways. Romans 13, verses 11 and 12. Paul said something similar. And he said, and that knowing the time that now it is high time. To awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. In light of what's been going on this week. There are some things that us as believers need to put off. Works of darkness that we need to put off. And to turn from. These wicked ways that maybe we've had in our own hearts. One of the things that started this whole thing was uh, the very tragic death of George Floyd. Shouldn't have happened. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. Every life matters. Regardless of skin color. Regardless of... A nationality, regardless of your pedigree, uh, every life matters. Every life is a life that God created. And it's precious to God and it ought to be precious to us too. Including, by the way, the unborn. Abortions continue happening. I was looking at statistics and this morning and it seems as though that Still, the abortions are still happening. No stopping that. We've got, those are essential services that we've got to have available. And yet churches in California are, are not allowed to meet. It's absurd. It's a tragedy. It's a slap in the face to God. But murder should not have happened. There is no excuse for what that officer did. Thou shalt not kill. But I want to remind us what Jesus said to us. He didn't just say thou shalt not kill, but thou shalt not hate your brother in your heart. Because you're committing murder in your heart. We need to turn from our wicked ways, friend, brother, and sister. 
What about racism? Of course, that's the big thing this week. It's been out there. Uh, one community is, is uh, claiming that racism was the motivator behind all of this. I do want to say this, that racial prejudice has absolutely no place in the life of a Christian. Red and yellow, black and white, we're all precious in his sight. James chapter 2 and verse number 9 says, If ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. I want to invite you real quickly to turn to Luke chapter number 10. I'm going to show you a passage that, oh, we're all familiar with. But hopefully some lights come on in your own heart. Luke chapter 10 and verse number, boy, 25. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. Well, Jesus said, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, Well, then who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, Well, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, one of his own, if you want to call it race, I am not a fan of using that particular term. But for sake of uh, where we're living today and what's been going on, I'll use that. A certain man... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 31, uh, a certain priest who was of the same race that way, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a a Levite, again, of the same race, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. I don't have time for that. But a certain Samaritan who was, again, I'm putting air quotes around it because I'm not a fan of using this, but for sake of what our discussion today a Samaritan who was of a different race, who was of a hated race, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. You see, the racial differences had no bearing at this point. And this was to kind of uh, teach this certain lawyer that, hey, race has no place in uh in, in God's kingdom. Well, what did this Samaritan do, this man of this hated race do? Well, he had compassion on him, went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, brought him into an inn, took care of him. And on the morrow he departed, he took out two pence, which was, by the way, two days' labor, uh, two days of wages, and gave them to the host, said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will pray thee. And the whole point of this, at the end of it, is verse number 37, when Jesus said to the certain lawyer, go and do that likewise. In other words, go and forget about race. That doesn't matter in the slightest. It's just 
how God created them and praise the Lord for it. We're all different. Aren't you glad we are? Aren't you glad there's not two of me in this world? Aren't you glad there's not two of you in this world? We're all different. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 9. What then? Are we better than they? As Paul's talking to the Jews there at Rome. Are we better than they because we're Jewish? We're better than the Gentiles because of our pedigree. Like we had a choice in what family we were born in. Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. And then uh, verse 29 of that same chapter, he says, look, is he the God of the Jews only? Talking about, do Jews have like this special, uh, you know, because they're Jewish, because of that, that he's, the, he's only the God of the Jews? He said, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, Paul said. Look, there's no difference we're all in the same boat. The ground is level at the cross. It doesn't matter what uh, skin color we have. We all need to come to the saving knowledge of uh, Jesus Christ in order to be saved. That, it's the same for all of us. We're all sinners and we're all desperately in need of a Savior. And all need to be respected as God's creation. What about the violence that has been taking place in... This last week. One of the reasons that God brought down the flood was because all the violence that was filling the earth. Violence is uh, absolutely wrong. And uh, the, the violence, the violent reaction that some people have had to all of this does not make anything right. The, the two wrongs do not make a right here. Okay, when it comes to the turning from our wicked ways, Matthew Henry in his commentary on this verse said this, God's people must humble themselves under his hand, must pray for the removal of the judgment, must seek the face and favor of God, and yet all this will not do unless they turn from their wicked ways and return to the God from whom they have revolted. We're not going to see revival if we just kind of go on our merry way and act like nothing's wrong and continue in our sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And so what I'm calling you and me to do this morning is to take inventory of our own hearts and our own lives and see if there is any wicked way in us and then turn from them. And forsake them. And not justify them. Not say, well, it's not as bad as somebody else's. But to literally forsake them and turn from them. John R. Rice, a great evangelist now with the Lord, was asked to conduct a revival meeting at a Baptist church in Woodbine, Texas. Which, by the way, is just about two hours from here. Well, there in Woodbine, Texas, divisions and strife had broken the heart of the pastor until it moved him to resign and leave. The country missionary there, hoping to see the church revived and God's work made prosperous, asked Dr. John R. Rice to come and preach for some revival services. 
He found the whole community divided when he got there. One or more of the deacons had, had fist fights in the quarrel that had reached nearly every home in that community. Many had taken a vow never to return to that little church. Well, Dr. Rice never did find out most of the details of the division, but with a burden in his soul, he preached against sin, urged people, God's people to clean up their lives and pleaded with them to make peace with their neighbors. And so night after night, he preached. And those who had been angry at others were now angry with him. So he kind of fit right in. <laughs> well, one morning, a woman in the community started to uh, get her telephone and to make a call to Dr. Rice to tell, her, to tell him just what she thought of all his meddling in their affairs. But her 19-year-old son stopped her and said, Mother, you're wrong. I've just been out in the woods to pray. I know Brother Rice is right. If we Christians do not get right with each other, we can never have a revival. I, for one, am going to try to get right. Well, his mother did not make that phone call. In the very next service, Dr. Rice called for a time of testimony in the service. With tears streaming down her face, one woman rose to beg forgiveness of another woman with whom she had quarreled. The other woman swiftly rose and came to meet her. They put their arms around one another and wept in the aisle. Confessions came from all parts of the building. The deep moving of God was upon the people as they began to make restitution, ask forgiveness, and seek Christian fellowship once again. That afternoon, the news spread like wildfire. And that night, the little church building was crowded. People came to church who had not been there in months, some who had vowed that they would never enter that building again. From the very beginning of the service, the Holy Spirit was there. Dr. Rice preached the gospel, not the invitation. Men and women accepted Christ as their Savior, believed on the Lord Jesus for their salvation. With tears streaming down their faces, they did that. Dozens of people were saved. Hundreds of Christians were revived. And people came from miles to fill that little church for the rest of the meeting that lasted four weeks. All because a young man was willing to turn from his wicked ways. Are you willing to turn from your wicked ways? Are you willing to do what Brother Blake preached about on Wednesday night? To break up that fallow ground? Revival is not going to happen unless that happens. The plan has to be followed. God put it, it's very simple. He laid it out for us. Are we going to do it? If we do, I want us to notice very quickly and lastly this morning the promise of revival. Back in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then, here's the promise, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, will heal their land. Very quickly, will, he will first of all hear from heaven. This is a wonderful thing that God would want to hear from me. I want to hear our prayers. I mean, I, I'm nobody special. But yet God wants to hear my prayers. But he won't if I 
don't follow the prescription here. If I don't follow the plan, if I'm not willing to humble myself, if I'm not willing to pray, if I'm not willing to seek his face and turn from my wicked ways, he's not going to hear because uh, one of the verses that Brother Blake brought out on uh, Wednesday night was Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I say, you know, there's some things that I'm not willing to change for you, Lord. And the Bible says the Lord's going to say, well, you go ahead and pray all you want. But I'm not going to listen. Wow. That's a scary verse. So, friend, can I ask you, are you regarding iniquity in your heart? If you are, it's time to get rid of it, to turn from it, so that the Lord can hear your prayers, because we need him to hear our prayers right now. We can't just pretend and go on, carry on business as usual in our own lives. Uh, No, time to do some spiritual spring cleaning. Get our lives clean and clear and right before God. It's time to do that. He'll hear from heaven, first of all, and then, praise the Lord, He'll forgive our sin. He'll, he'll, he'll make us clean. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to do this. And so you come to the Lord and say, I have sinned in this area. Maybe I've had a rebellious heart in this particular area. Maybe I've uh, been hiding things from, from others and that are wrong and I need to get that right. Whatever it is, if we confess, God says he is faithful and he is just to forgive us. Praise the Lord for that. When, when David was confronted with his sin... With Bathsheba in Psalm 32 in verse number 5. Here's uh, one, of the, one of the things he said. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. He said, I just needed to acknowledge it. I just needed to confess it. With the idea that I'm going to forsake it too. You don't just say, well, I, I sinned. As soon as I'm done praying, I'm going to go commit the sin again. Well, that's not forsaking sin. That's not turning from your wicked way. The promise of revival is that he will hear from heaven and that he will forgive our sin if we do confess. Well, then, number, number three here, heal our land. He will heal, heal our land. And this is our prayer and hope that God would indeed heal our land, that we would once again be the United States of America. Right now, we're the divided states of America. But I am praying that the Lord would heal our land and that we'd be the United States of America, that we would be the home of the brave and the land of the free once again. May God truly heal our land. But it's going to require His people, which are you and I, to follow the plan for revival. Are you willing to do that? I hope the answer is yes. Let's pray together this morning.